Welcome. You are listening to the Conservation Stories Podcast, connecting listeners to nature through inspirational personal narratives from diverse voices in conservation. This is Robert Rose, and I'm a conservation geographer and the executive director of the Institute for Integrative Conservation at William & Mary. And this is John Swaddle, faculty director of the Institute for Integrative Conservation. We're coming to you today from the campus of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. This season explores stories of Virginia's Pamunkey tribe, highlighting the past, present, and future of their relationship with local and cultural resources. My name is Anna Kashmanian, and I'm your host for the first season of the Conservation Stories podcast. On our previous episode, we learned all about American Shad, a fish with major cultural and ecological significance to Virginia's Pamunkey tribe. In today's episode, we will examine the impacts of climate change and ongoing questions regarding tribal identity and resource management, both on and beyond the reservation, as well as what this means for the Shad's future. The Pamunkey tribe, whose 1,200-acre reservation is located in Virginia's Chesapeake Bay area, has witnessed many changes to their ancestral territory. Throughout the rise and fall of the Powhatan chiefdom, conflict with European colonists, learning to navigate the American market economy, and changes to the natural and cultural resources they have depended on for thousands of years, the tribe's ability to adapt has been essential to their perseverance. Today, the tribe and the reservation lands are faced with yet another novel challenge, climate change. Human-induced climate change refers to the unusually rapid and significant changes in weather patterns the Earth is experiencing as a result of human action. Climate change is having a significant impact on the Chesapeake Bay region, causing unpredictable and extreme weather, more extreme temperature and flood events, rising sea levels, and changes in water chemistry. The Chesapeake Bay is an irreplaceable treasure. It has changed in the way that it looks as development has occurred over the generations. And humans have flourished here. Because of the bay, we have access to fish, crabs, oysters, scallops, all the wonderful things. And in an equal measure, over time, the face of the bay could change quite a bit with climate change, whether it's the kind of species that live here or the areas in our our coastal communities that are going to end up being inundated with water eventually as sea level rises. That was Elizabeth Armistead Andrews, professor of law at the Marshall Wyth School of Law at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, and the director of the Virginia Coastal Policy Center. So I would love to naively say that the Chesapeake Bay someday will look just like it did when colonists arrived from England. There are all these reported uh, writings from John Smith talking about, you know, sturgeon so large that men could ride on their backs and all that. But realistically, pragmatically, I don't see how that can happen. According to Andrews, climate change threatens the overall health of the Bay's diverse ecosystems and the thousands of species that live there, including the once plentiful American shad. We have this one creature that has flourished here in this watershed for generations. It's called humans. And uh, we're here to stay. We're not moving out. And as long as we're here, you can't have that wild state like it was when we arrived. I also spoke with Dr. Ashley Spivey to better understand how the Pamunkey tribe is experiencing and thinking about climate change. 
one of the biggest concerns is kind of the severe weather events, right? Um, we are inland, but we are still part of the Tidewater region. Um, so we definitely feel impacts from hurricanes, tropical storms, you know, surges in the, in the tides from those storms that greatly impacts the rate of erosion on the reservation. The Pamunkey Reservation, which lies within the tribe's ancestral territory, is located on a low-elevation peninsula almost completely surrounded by the Pamunkey River. In addition to vulnerability to storms, these geographical characteristics of the reservation put at a high risk for erosion, sea level rise, and flooding. We're a lowland wetland peninsula, so um, we've always dealt with flooding, but it's becoming more exacerbated, with, without a doubt. And looking at some of the projections that have been done over the last, you know, that show a 50 year, 100 year into the future when it comes to sea level rise, yeah, it doesn't, it's not boding well for, for our reservation land. And what people don't realize is that when the tribes lose their waterfront, not only are they losing territory, you know, they're losing land, but sometimes they can be losing their cultural resources that are embedded in that soil from generations of living. That was Andrews again. Despite the life-altering impacts climate change will have on the Pamunkey tribe, indigenous voices are commonly excluded from policy decision-making. Native people really aren't a part of the conversation, um, and that needs to change because we are, especially the coastal communities are gonna be impacted um, in ways that, you know, we're not gonna be equipped to handle because we just don't have the resources. But the Virginia Coastal Policy Center, or VCPC for short, is hoping to change that. Housed at the William & Mary Law School, the VCPC provides scientifically informed legal and policy resources for ecological issues impacting Virginia's coastal resources. One way in which the VCPC is hoping to tackle climate change is by including diverse voices beyond just the legal community, including those of the Pamunkey tribe. At the Virginia Coastal Policy Center, my center, we've been working on a grant with its funding from the Virginia Coastal Zone Management Program. So that's funding from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, to work with the tribes to survey them about their natural resources needs, to try to foster that communication between the state government and the Coastal Zone Management Program and the tribes. That was Elizabeth Armistead Andrews again, who currently heads the Virginia Coastal Policy Center. The VCPC is also helping the tribe cultivate a living shoreline to mitigate the impacts of erosion, flooding, and sea level rise while boosting coastal resilience. A living shoreline is actually what it sounds like. It's um, taking steps to provide natural plantings on a shoreline to prevent the soil from eroding away. Plants hold soil in place with their roots, providing a natural defense against erosion caused by sea level rise. Spivey notes that these efforts are appreciated. Indigenous people just are not a part of the conversation in, in a lot of instances, but working with VCPC has, I think, started to kind of change that. In an effort to strengthen their influence on policy matters, the Pamunkey tribe recently completed the grueling and expensive process of achieving federal recognition. In 2016, the Pamunkey tribe became Virginia's first federally recognized Native American tribe. This new status bolsters the tribe's relationship with the federal government, giving them increased rights and resources, including those that may help them manage and mitigate the impacts of climate change. 
Spivey, who spent several years working to help the tribe build the administrative infrastructure necessary to function as a federally recognized tribe, shares what the federal recognition process was like. And basically had to show um, that we continued to exist as a tribal entity, with a tribal government, with a cohesive community, with traditions, despite all of the attempts to obliterate all of that, we, <laughs> we had to document that um, we maintained that identity, right? And that took 30 years. <laughs> that was a 30 year, year ordeal, costing millions of dollars. And I will tell you that our petition is thousands and thousands of, of documents. Uh, the narrative, I think, was over a thousand pages. Spivey also explains the significance of the tribe's federally recognized status. It means a lot of different things. It basically establishes an official government-to-government -government relationship with the United States of America and our government, the Pamukki Indian Tribal Government. And that's important because in establishing that relationship, the United States does recognize us as a sovereign entity. Being federally recognized also means that the Pamunkey tribe has access to various federal programs for tribes, such as housing, healthcare, and financial support for their tribal government. This also means that the tribe has more resources for coping with the impacts of climate change. Additionally, federally recognized tribes get a bigger say in projects that will impact them and their reservation land. The tribes now have the, the right to negotiate and consult on federal projects, on, on projects that are you know, funded by the federal government or take place on federal land or that require federal permits, projects that have the potential to negatively impact our cultural and natural resources. So we have a seat at the table and um, consulting on those projects to hopefully try to deter as much as possible negative impacts on those resources that are important to us off of our reservation land. Andrews also has hopes that the Pamunkey tribe's new status will help them engage with these projects and resources on the state government level. They can be key partners, particularly since the federal government has recognized the Pamunkey tribe. Uh, that could give them some more ability to work as a partner with the Commonwealth. And I think that the tribes are, are looking for ways to interact with the state government. For example, in 2018, Dominion Energy was required to compensate the Pamunkey tribe $4.5 million for the Surrey Skiffs Creek project, which infringes on the tribe's cultural landscape. This money, which was allocated to the tribe's cultural center, tribal historic preservation office, and shad hatchery, doesn't erase Dominion's project or restore the tribe's ancestral territory, but hopefully it sets an important precedent. The Pamunkey tribe is a sovereign entity that must be granted a seat at the table. In addition to the effects climate change will have on the Pamunkey tribe's reservation land, adapting to its impacts on historic, natural, and cultural resources presents additional challenges. As exemplified by the American Shad's decline, changes in historic resources can have a huge impact on the tribe, as these resources also have tremendous cultural value. Moving forward, the tribe must figure out how to navigate the dichotomy between preserving tradition and modernizing. Obviously, the non-Native public has very clear ideas about what Indians should look like and what Indians should be doing to be considered authentic Indians. 
and we grapple with that, right? I think that's been internalized in some ways, shapes and, and forms within within our community. And I think it's unfortunate because all societies change, all cultures change, but for some reason with Native people, there's a stigma. This stigma against change places pressure on the Pamunkey tribe, especially while climate change presents new challenges out of the tribe's control. As traditional practices, such as shad fishing, become less feasible as a result of human-driven changes, the tribe must figure out what traditions to preserve. We have to make a concerted effort to hold on to the traditional knowledge that still does exist, right, within some tribal members, um, especially the elderly tribal members of our community. And I think if we don't make a concerted effort as a tribe to build programs that address those issues directly, we're gonna we're gonna lose them. But Spivey remains hopeful about the tribe's future, even as the uncertain impacts of climate change loom over the community. And one thing that keeps her hopeful is the increasing number of younger people living on the reservation. So in terms of demographics, there's not many young people here, but that is starting to change slowly. Um, just within the last five years, we have more children, young children down here, living down here than, than it's been in decades. She sees the importance of fully integrating this growing group of younger members. There needs to be some type of youth engagement so that not only can they learn the steps of governance, but those who are governing can learn from a younger generation about what they want, because they're going to be the ones dealing with the mess um, or the consequences or whatever is left in the wake of, of, you know, leaders that are 50 plus years older than them. Those consequences include the impacts of climate change on the reservation and the changing relationship between the tribe and local resources, such as American Shad. And, as became clear during my conversations with Spivey, Andrews, and Tucky, those of us outside the Pamunkey community have much to learn from them and other indigenous groups about how to adapt to climate change and manage natural resources in a changing, globalizing world. And I always kind of go back to my grandfather's saying and philosophy, like, when you take, you always give back. I mean, and I think that that is definitely something that is at, a, at the core of a lot of tribal communities. And really at the heart of that, it's about, that's about balance, right? It's a give and it's a take. Um, and if you just keep taking and taking and taking and not giving and without providing any kind of balance, um, why is anybody surprised that things are a mess? and that we're, you know, facing what we're facing um, on a global scale right now. And as Andrews described, policymakers are starting to realize that tribes like the Pamunkey can be incredibly valuable contributors to the fight against climate change. There's such a strong respect for our environment. It's part of the tribal heritage, their culture, that there's a lot for us to learn from that. And so having that interaction with them about management of natural resources is a, is a wonderful gift. But as Spivey notes, indigenous people can't shoulder the responsibility of protecting the planet by themselves. It's up to everyone, scientists, policymakers, and members of the public, to listen to and amplify diverse perspectives on issues affecting natural and cultural resources. Being one of the smallest populations in the globe, indigenous people can't carry that burden, right? <laughs> but we should be at the table and, and helping um, to bring about that solution. And I think, like I said, our mentality and mindset when it comes to our natural environment um, 
would be helpful, I think, in, in changing the course of, of climate change. It's clear that our standard for what healthy conditions look like in and around the Bay have changed in the last few hundred years. Because of the large-scale development across the Chesapeake Bay area, pre-colonial shad numbers may never be possible again. But even as the climate continues to change, experts still have hope for a sustainable recreational shad fishery in the Bay area. I think rebuilding the runs to, to the point where you could have at least a recreational fishery, I don't know if they would ever get back up to a commercial fishery size, um, but certainly a, a recreational angler, you know, you can, you can fish for shad and, and, and the systems would be, would be great. Um, not worrying about them going extinct or you're extirpated locally extinct and, and systems would be, would be great. That's Dr. Troy Tucky, senior research scientist at the Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences who specializes in fish population dynamics. Andrews echoes this sentiment, emphasizing that humans must find a way to balance our needs with the needs of other species in the Bay in order to preserve this habitat for future generations. To me, success would be achieving the balance of having humans live here in the most responsible way that we can while safeguarding our resources for ourselves and for future generations. So that would mean making sure that the habitats are there that are necessary for our species to survive and thrive. And that has to take into account climate change. For Spivey, her grandfather's message of balance and giving back remains a guiding principle. It breaks my heart to see any um, species, uh, you know, on earth go through um, being endangered because of human action. I think it's heartbreaking that we treat uh, our environment and our earth the way that we do um, because it's our, it's our only home. There's nowhere to go, even though people think we're going to go to Mars one day. I don't see that happening uh, <laughs> anytime soon. Just generally, we, we need to take care of our home, right? And we need to take care of... Um, the other living things that reside here other than just us. Climate change, habitat modification, and loss of important species such as the American shad are issues seriously impacting indigenous communities in Virginia and globally. Luckily, there are ways we can all help support and protect indigenous communities and habitats like the Chesapeake Bay. But what can we do? I asked our interviewees for specific ways in which listeners like you can help. Andrews voiced the importance of educating yourself and your children about issues facing habitats like the bay, such as plastics and runoff, and taking actions to curb your own impact. For instance, applying lawn fertilizer according to the directions, being careful not to apply too much, can reduce nutrient imbalances in the bay and its tributaries, like the Pamunkey River. Tucky emphasized the importance of taking an active role in state politics and development projects, as public input can have a big effect. For example, thanks to members of the public voicing their opinion, construction on the King William Reservoir in Southeast Virginia never began. This project would have flooded important habitat for many species and impacted historic tribal lands. And Spivey shared the importance of amplifying and listening to indigenous voices rather than speaking over these communities. One way to start is by educating yourself on indigenous tribes near you and the issues they face, listen to their community, and share their words with your networks. We have listed more suggestions for how to make a personal impact in the show notes. We would like to thank our contributors and guests, Ashley Spivey, Troy Tucky, and Elizabeth Armistead Andrews for making this season possible. 
and a special thank you to you, our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. This episode of the Conservation Stories podcast is produced by Dorothy Ebus and Anna Kashmanian for the William & Mary Institute for Integrative Conservation. To learn more about the IIC, this podcast, or conservation at William & Mary, please visit our website at wm.edu conservation or email us at iic at wm.edu. We look forward to hearing from you soon.